Hey everybody, and welcome to Dragged into Turbo Lasers, a Between the Bolter and Me podcast. This is episode 65, and I'm your host, Eric Wire, and I'm here with you tonight with my two brothers, Adam Wire. Hey everybody. Greg Wire. Hey everyone. And I'm excited that we also have another guest here with us tonight, a friend Isaac, but perhaps better known as Weirding Way. Hey Isaac. Hey. Nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to finally have you on the on the podcast here. I feel we've talked back and forth for a little while now, but finally got around to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like probably everyone who's has some involvement in the Inc. 28 aspect of Warhammer probably knows about Weirding Ways, your, your stuff largely because of the Navigator house that you've been working on and whatnot. So I would almost say that your work needs no introduction. I feel like the people that actually listen to this podcast are here because of Inc. 28 sort of stuff. Not yet. That is certainly true. (laughs) Thank you. But I guess maybe just to to start this off in just a general sense, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe sort of lead that into how you got involved in sort of the miniature hobby? Sure. Um, Well, like many uh, people in this hobby and your listeners, I feel like a lot of us are of the same general demographic. I'm... (laughs) Uh, about almost 40, uh, white guy with glasses and a beard, um, <laughs> very nerdy child. Um, but so I got first was exposed to the whole hobby 40k world through my older brother, which is, I think, also, again, a common, common trend. <laughs> we were actually really into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role playing game, the Palladium game in England, and we're looking to buy some books. And so we found a shop called the Orcs Nest in London, mm-hmm. um, which I believe is still there in some form. But so we went into the shop just looking for Palladium TMNT books and they had Rogue Trader, Space Marines, and I think some of the early Eldar models and stuff and all the books. And this was very early on. This was before the first box set of 40K. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were just instantly blown away. And I was really little. I was um, like second grade, I think, third grade. So I didn't, I was too young for it. Um, but my brother got it and started painting models and playing Rogue Trader with his friends. And so I would watch them. And I remember, I have the distinct memory of them playing Rogue Trader and taking out this like 30 inch paper template to represent a vortex orbital missile. <laughs> and just thinking that was the coolest thing I had ever seen. But um, so I read Rogue Trader much too young probably and the Realm of Chaos books. And I think kind of have never really been able to get past that, you know, that they yeah. themselves in me, in my psyche. Um, <laughs> but then when the second edition 40K box that came out, I got that myself and my brother was starting to get into being in a death metal band and stuff and was less interested. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And then, again, these I think are common themes, um, but I then fully committed and painted up all those little plastic orcs 
and all the Gretchen, the forty uh, mono Gretchen. I didn't get that far, but um, yeah, how could about you? painting the Space Marines as Blood Angels because that's what they were on the box. Yeah, we painted half of them as Blood Angels and half of them as Dark Angels. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's stupid. No, that's a crusade. Yeah. yeah. When, when I painted, I think I think we might have painted all of the Gretchen. And then I think that was probably the only box game we ever painted all the models for. And then it's like, if we would even paint one of the models from a box game, it's like, hot oh, damn, that's a home run. That's right. It. <laughs> it, was, it was a really, it was a very exciting box. But even at that time, I remember thinking like, because I still had this kind of mindset of my first exposure was Rogue Trader. Mm-hmm. The second edition box was start was kind of more cleaned up and oh, bright yeah. goblin green bases. The models were kind of more toy like. And so even at the time I remember like kind of trying to like I painted things on a black undercoat mm-hmm. and use a white undercoat at the time. Um so I was had a little bit of a different sense. But even that second edition book like was so full of John Blanche artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel the Codex Imperialis was exactly. just so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because the three of us started playing when we were like 12. And at that point, it was maybe 1997. And it was towards the latter end of the second edition. And so, oh, yeah. I mean, we... we I on the, the stream, you pulled up the uh, Citadel Journal thing I posted. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that I uh, was lucky enough to have some of my models featured in the Citadel Journal back then. Um, That's awesome. Because I, this was again early days of 40k on the internet, but yeah. um, as like a 14-year-old, I got really into a mailing list, the Warhammer 40,000 mailing list. Oh damn! I don't know if you guys remember that or if any of your listeners might, but there was like this was before forums. Yeah, yeah. News groups, but the 40K news group wasn't so active, but it was so I was like, that was one of my big ways of engaging with the hobby was Mm -hmm. writing on the mailing list. And at that time, um, Jervis Johnson and Andy Chambers were part of the mailing list. Yeah, Uh, that's cool. So I kind of got to correspond with them some. And so then they put me in touch with people. And so I wrote some articles to the Citadel Journal and, um, when I was in England later, I actually got to go to the studio and meet them all. And so that was like when I was like 15, 16, that was like my big thing. So I had, at one point I thought, okay, I'm not going to go to college. When I graduate from high school, I'm going to move to England and work for Games Workshop. Yeah. But cooler heads prevailed. um, (laughs) And basically, actually, I think my parents were very grateful that um, I talked to Jervis about this and he was very nice and said like you know why don't you try going to college and if you want to work for us after that that still could be an option yeah that's, um, that's cool yeah. yeah which I think was definitely the right choice for me because I went to college and discovered I loved it I went to art school mm-hmm. and found that a lot of what I loved about the hobby directly applied to yeah. making things that weren't just Space Marines and Orcs, you know? <laughs> Not just Space Marines, ridiculous. I know. Yeah. 
Exactly. Well, so here's a question. It can be used for many different things. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a question for you. Is there a period of time where you kind of stop doing Warhammer stuff? Because I feel like a lot of people like, oh, they started when they were younger and then maybe they went to college and didn't do anything with it for like five years and then came back. The three of us were sort of, we started at 12 and kind of always did stuff with it. Maybe not as much at some point, but I don't feel we ever left it. I took a huge hiatus. Um, when I went to college, I packed up all my stuff. Um, I shut, I had a blog of, well, no, they weren't called blogs back then. I had a website yeah. where I would post stuff and I, I like turned that off. I was like, went dark mm-hmm. um, and thought like, I guess I just wanted to focus on school. Um, but then I, I was kind of surprised at how much I was able to leave it behind um, and just totally kind of, I, at that point, after a couple of years in college, thought I was never going to do miniatures again. Um, and then, like, I really loved school. I got a career as a graphic designer, um, was found, found it very creatively satisfying, but maybe about like five, even less, three, or, I mean, I would still occasionally check up on new stuff that was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like maybe three or four years after graduating from college, I started like man these those models are looking really cool it's kind of <laughs> human and so i started um reading forums and looking at websites and kind of the way i was so involved in the hobby as a teenager on the mailing list it was kind of i saw there was this whole new internet world yeah you know, yeah working and reading stuff um but i did that for maybe five years without ever buying a model um which i think a lot of people do Mm-hmm. Um, but in that time, on, I got more and more into it and was trying to resist it because I thought, you know, I'm done with this. I don't, you know, I've moved on. I'm an adult. I have, why, is it, why do I need to do this? But yeah. um, finally, um, I was like, actually, I think talking to my wife about it and she was like, you know, we were like out and we, we was like, you know, do you just want to get some models just to try? And it's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I was kind of afraid because I was <laughs> Um, this was like regression or something, but yeah, uh, the floodgates would open again and you and would get away. <laughs> yeah. Um, but part one of the things that really motivated it is before I got back into it is I saw on DACA DACA the forum um, a series of posts about the Jade Vessel campaign, mm-hmm. which a bunch of people who are still involved in the hobby. We're doing it. Some people who kind of moved on, but um, so Migsala mm-hmm. now at Iron Sleep. Back then, he just posted on DACA, um, and so he post was posting stuff on that. And I was just blown away when I saw his models. He had like a crescent guard, I think he called them, a Space Marine army, who were like white and gold and really cool. And then for this Jade Vessel thing, he was doing these just beautiful. Um, really kind of fundamental of what we now think of as Inc. 28 warbands, but um, a lot of other people were involved with that. And I think around then I started seeing uh, Bruticus, yeah. was a forum name at the time, but Jake of uh, X Profundus, and now mm-hmm. kind of X Profundus online. And his stuff was amazing. And then um, Neil 101, I was just like, so when I saw his work, I was like, well, that's exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah. So at that time, I didn't think I was going to go online with stuff. 
I just thought like, this looks really fun. So there was like a year when I just built stuff when I got back into it, or maybe even two, maybe a year and a half, two years. Um, but then I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and post my stuff on de So my first move was posting on DACA DACA. And right away, I got such a great response, and particularly from these people who I was so inspired by, um, commented right away and reached out to me. And um, I think um, Jake, who was one of the first people who contacted me and told me I should go post at a different forum, the Ammo Bunker. Yeah, the Ammo Bunker. Which is still around, but it's kind yeah. of social media has killed forums so much. Yeah, um, it's true. It's so sad um, because that was this amazing kind of tighter focused community. Um, and it was, yeah, it was great to get to meet all these people who I had been following for years and um, basically just by posting things that they thought were cool. And, you know, that's really what it kind of comes down to. Yeah, well, that was kind of in our experience with, the, the only way that we, or the main way we got involved with Inc. 28 and like talking with people like you and other people in the hobby was by posting our own work mm -hmm. and trying, like, yeah, putting our stuff out there. And eventually that led to, to talking with, with everybody. Yeah, and commenting on people's, people's things. But yeah, as Greg said, like, yeah, we never really stopped, but I feel in our college years, we didn't do a whole lot. Like we didn't play that much. We'd get some models here and there, but didn't do a whole lot. But then coming into graduate school, we're like, you know what? Like if we want to keep doing this, we should just start a blog and start posting stuff and see what happens. Yeah. And then that I feel has made it such that we're more interested in sort of the hobby stuff than we had ever been before, which is wasn't really what I anticipated, but it yeah it was it was it's been great yeah one of the interesting things about the, this hobby and i know we're kind of using the official games workshop branded term of calling it the hobby right to encompass all yeah. <laughs> it makes sense because it is it's then it can be many different things to many different people and mm -hmm. only different people engage with it in different ways and for some people that's obviously about playing some people it's very much about painting, some people converting, but then what a lot of people like us do is this weird kind of between the cracks of a lot of those things where like it's, it is for me, it is very much making game pieces, mm -hmm. but I also think of them as little art projects. Um, and I don't, you know, I'll play with them maybe once or twice a year, maybe yeah. four times a year, probably my all time max. Um, <laughs> That's doing pretty well. Yeah. And when I started making them, I actually didn't think I was going to play because the game was never my favorite part. It was yeah. like the kind of the, but it just the idea of making sculptures just on their own also wasn't interesting to me. Mm -hmm. but the idea of making, because having this like added function and imagining what the game could be like is, I think, for a lot of people, more fun than actually playing the game. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. I mean, nowadays, I feel like there's, like, a renaissance of board games, and there are lots of great board games, and, like, when at least I compare the 40K games that I remember to play, playing to, like, some newer cool board games, it's not of 
very good game. <laughs> or I never found it to be particularly good. And what I love about Warhammer, it wasn't the game. Yeah. And but I like feel even like with like the stories and the background and stuff, like I've it's now to the point where I've sort of created my own view of what all of the background and everything. Because I know like a couple times like I've read some of like the codex books. Like I remember one of the orc codex, space orc codex books, had this stupid passage about one of the wars for Armageddon, how Thraka like captured Yarek and like tied him to like a battle wagon and like drove him around and then it's like, oh you're cool mate, I'll let you it's just like, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> Like, oh, I refuse to believe any of that shit happened. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's interesting that, you know, like, I don't think the games are often that great per se, or, like, it's so easy for stuff to not work quite right. But the fact that the game there is, like, instrumental in um, sort of fostering all this creativity and it, like, makes you want to create things and do these things with the thought that you can interact with other people who have their own interpretations and see kind of all these sort of emerging narratives that can result from it. So I think the game, even though I'm the first to admit, like often doesn't quite work out right or as you're imagining it, like it's still really important for um, bringing all these different people's concepts together into something that's like more synergistic like more than the sum of its parts definitely and i think what one it's having that kind of framework is really one of the things that keeps i mean for me it's largely the background and the aesthetic is the single biggest thing but the fact that there's this interactive way of engaging with it um really is what keeps me interested in it and the models i don't think of my models as display pieces i definitely think of them as gaming pieces and it it definitely, the, I've had so much fun at these rare Inc. 28 meetup games where getting to see my models in the place they're meant to be, you know? Um, yeah. It's just so satisfying. And, you know, the, the most fun I've had at those events has always been when we stop paying attention to the rules so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> there aren't any rules or very little, but, um, you know, just the things that you wouldn't, like what the game is good at is leading to unexpected interactions. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that it's not like we're all sitting around directly role-playing, but you do have kind of intention and then that interfaces with the dice and fun stuff happens. And the models mm -hmm. pull together, if, especially if there's good terrain. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's certainly true. Um, one thing, like I feel you're, people probably know you best by like the, the navigator houses and such that you've created. Like, could you talk a little bit about like sort of how you came to creating them? Mm -hmm. Was it one, like the, one of the first things you did when you started this, this two year period of doing things secretly? Yeah. <laughs> and like right. what, yeah. And like what sort of, you know, inspired them and like, yeah, all that stuff. So yeah, before I got back into it, but while I was like actively reading forums and thinking about everything, I would just kind of really, when it comes down to it, one of my earliest ways of engaging with the hobby, now I'm not liking the way that sounds, but it is, it is what it is, <laughs> yeah. daydreaming about like projects 
and like thinking like what would be a fun take on that concept um and so for years i was just kind of in the back of my mind like daydream about that and i remember i even once like on the commuting to work on the train wrote in my notebook a list of ideas for what i would do if i actually got back into 40k and one of the first ones i wrote down was a navigator house um and there was like 30 other ideas which i almost randomly could have picked but yeah. they were all i was trying to think of what i thought made the, the navigators a good project was they're an integral part of the setting yeah um, if you think about the structure that makes the imperium work they need technology so they need the mechanicus um, or the mechanicum they need um you know the military obviously because in the grim darkness of the far future there's no <laughs> war yeah. um but then there's the astropaths who are the only means of holding the empire together with faster than light communication but obviously everything falls apart if there's no warp travel yeah. and that, that's one of the central kind of background hooks for the universe and they were mentioned in rogue trader there was like a couple of really awful models um <laughs> some weird cool drawings kind of there was like this weird guy lying down with like a like a highlight hat on like that weird like long brim kind of yeah. um but i so i remember thinking like it's weird that there's no representation anymore of astropaths or navigators kind of in the universe and so that but that i really like the idea of taking something that isn't added in to 40k yeah. like part of the core concept but isn't explored so that i could do i had a lot of room to kind of play and like i'm not constantly pushing up against official games workshop ideas of what navigators exactly are but i'm also engaging with that unit because if i wasn't then i might as well just be doing my own thing kind of yeah so i think that was kind of a perfect a perfect opportunity for them I mean, even now like how many navigator models do they have like one yeah two like, like so there's the, the the biggest one that comes to mind is the um one from blackstone fortress mm -hmm. there was an earlier forge world one but yeah so there's so <laughs> little despite them being so important and like general hints like oh there are these powerful navigator households that are some of the most powerful entities in the imperium but like there was just so much nothing yeah and it kind of makes sense because when it comes down to it they really should not be in a battlefield yeah that's um, true like i feel like i read online people saying like inquisitors don't really belong in the battlefield but then of course they definitely do because they go wherever they want but it's much harder to explain why navigators are on the battlefield in a 40k context but it's much easier to justify it in a more role-playing type setting like a yeah. lot of 8 games where maybe this isn't a full-blown war but and you know people stranded or lost or some type of trade mission that's gone wrong you know um but also something i remember i think it was maybe i can't remember who it was if it was jess goodman i heard some of the like the core 40k luminaries saying or maybe it was even tim malloy um saying that like the idea of in the grim darkness there's only war is so literal in the universe that every element of the imperium is at war with itself yeah and so like that's what necromunda is about is that 
these are civilians and they're constantly at war with each other. That like the insanity of the 40, the imperial mindset pervades everyone. So like they talk about nobles like having duels, but they have duels with like plasma pistols and chainsaws, you know, like yeah, um, yeah. So you could you could justify that like it doesn't make sense, but 40k doesn't make sense. And yeah, true. It's true. Well, and also one other thing is I'm a big fan of Dune, and the navigator concept was lifted pretty directly. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Weird um, way. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> so there's that little added connection. Yeah. No, um, cool. So with some of your navigators, you have them have really big heads. What can you speak to that? Like, is it just a notion of, oh, to have psychic powers, they have evolved like higher mental or like what was your thought behind that yeah so the very first navigator models i did were space suit kind of navigators like exosuit ones um when i first started i just bought like a few kits um including some blood angel space marines because those are my old favorites so like here's kind of hard to see here but um when I made these models, my idea was I would never show a navigator outside of a suit because they'd be so secretive that they wouldn't want anyone to see what their true forms were. Um, but then I was like, you know, what do they look like under there? So I started doodling what do they look like under there and thought, well, that would be really cool to make one. Um, but then it partially it was a practical thing that it seemed hard to sculpt a small head. Yeah. <laughs> but then um, I was thinking that, yeah, how would, there's all this talk of them mutating, but how do they mutate? I, and I wanted it to look like a controlled mutation, not like a chaos mutation. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then my, I did do some doodles right when I was thinking about this, where I tried, so there's like that, what do the navigators look like in David Lynch's Dune? <laughs> Maybe my favorite movie of all time. And like they're, they're very monstrous with weird, like porous cheeks and like vagina mouth and um I had heard that David Lynch never even read any of the Dune novels before making I, a film. I don't think that's true. Okay. From from reading especially I read some of his early scripts for it. I think he hadn't read them when he agreed to do it, but Okay. Yeah. That makes um, sense. <laughs> and so I think but so I was like that's been done. So I thought, well then I was thinking about my favorite I love the never ending story as a really little kid. Um, and there's actually really cool creature design in that. And there's these two giant headed, I don't call them aliens, but they're not aliens, they're Fantasians or whatever. Um, visit like at the opening scene at the Royal court with the childlike Empress. And there's these two like stone faced guys who have giant heads and I think four eyes. And mm -hmm. that image of those guys just stuck with me. And then I was thinking about, um, just like big stone heads, like colossal stone heads, like Olmec heads. Um, mm -hmm. And there's this giant head of uh, an emperor in the Capitoline Museum in Rome, where it was yeah. like a monument statue, but the only thing that's left is his head. And so, yeah, Eli, I see Eli on the chat here. <laughs> got the reference. Oh, and then I was also even was thinking in, uh, I love Miyazaki movies mm -hmm. and the uh, old woman which in a spirited way, Yubaba, I think she also has a, a giant head. And so yeah. 
that all kind of fed into that first big headed navigator. Um, but at the time I didn't, I thought, okay, I've done a big headed navigator. I'm not going to do any more, but it kind of, it kind of stuck. And so then I did the baby headed navigator, which you showed before mm -hmm. who ended up pretty big, but not quite as big, but, um, yeah, so this is, if you may let me interrupt, this is a very much of a tangent, but you said the never ending story. I never watched that movie, nor did I read the book, but isn't there like a character in there that's like made a creature that's composed of like hornets with like a hive mind called like Yargrimal the Many or something? I don't That might've been in one of the sequel books. It didn't make it into the movie. Okay. Well, I read the I, first book much later after the okay. movie, but, um, the notion of having some demonic creature thing that's just composed of hornets is cool to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Um, you mentioned like the, like doing sketches and such. Yeah. Is do you do for like most of the models and stuff you created and like the navigators? Do you often start doing sketches? And of those sketches, like do you often have models, like? that you think you could convert in yeah. mind or? So it's it's weird. I, so some models I don't sketch at all. Um, sometimes I really like sitting down just starting from bits mm -hmm. and letting, kind of taking a collage approach and letting something emerge. And so like these models, I didn't sketch at all. Um, I think I started sketching once I had this kind of concept for once I realized I like this navigator house thing, then I started just thinking about like, how can I mm -hmm. build on this idea further? And um, sketching is a really useful way of um, working out ideas. Um, mm -hmm. I often discover ideas through the act of drawing. Um, and then sometimes I'll sketch something specifically if I don't want to convert it. Okay. Because I often, I have too many ideas and too many projects and I don't have time to do them all. So I'll get this like, but once I get an, an image in my head, I have trouble letting it go until I can kind of realize it. And so I started trying to sketch. I thought maybe I could just quickly sketch out ideas and then yeah. be done with them. But it actually, it works the opposite that once I sketch it, then it's like more clearly defined and then I have to build it. So, <laughs> um, oh, but I don't normally think about Sometimes I'll think about bits when I'm sketching, but that's normally more once I've started on the project and I'm like trying to work out practically how to build it. But most of the time, it's just totally loose. Yeah, well, I feel looking at a lot of your models, like it doesn't seem like rarely is it like obvious where things are coming from that like because you like splice so many things together and such that it doesn't seem like. It, yeah, it seems like it's more of a fluid thing that you work on and it just comes together naturally as you're building things. But yeah, I like, I for me, if I can, I always have trouble. Once I see how something's going to work, I kind of lose interest in it. Mm -hmm. Or when something's close to being finished, I often will get a model like 80% of the way and then set it aside for a few months because like, you, you solve the big challenging hurdles and stuff. Exactly. But like, so it's fun while I'm working it out. Um, and so that's one of the things that's so fun about converting is the act of making is the same as the act of discovering the idea. Yeah. yeah. It's not like drawing a careful plan and then rendering that. Um, yeah, for some people, 
is. But for me, I, I intentionally, like, I like to work in that way because I find it relaxing, basically. Um, it can be almost meditative to kind of focus completely on something, um, but also not be consciously thinking much while you're doing it. Um, mm -hmm. Or do the sort that don't like the painting? Do you not like that as much? Because like, and once you get to the point of painting, I get you're past the point of that's true. Signing the thing, and it's more like, all right, I need to, to finish this. So is it a thing that you're less excited about that aspect? Or I am in general, definitely, because it's a secondary process, um, and I often like don't have like a designated building space and a designated painting space. It's so I really think hard to do that. Yeah, I do not either. If I did, because like it's like this, my, I think all the people who post their pretty desks on Instagram <laughs> horrified if they saw my working conditions, which are just like a sea of bits. Um, That's so to, what I like too. To commit to painting, I either have to clean that or like put a whole board <laughs> <Yeah>. on top <laughs> I can paint on. Um, but once I start painting a writing project, I actually really enjoy it. So like, I feel like I should. Mm -hmm. I can only generally motivate myself to paint when there's like a an event that I'm asked to finish something. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a deadline. I need to actually, yeah, put your like head to the grindstone. Yeah, but then once you start painting something, it's totally a process. For me, it's a process of discovery. That like I try not to yeah look at the color scheme too much before I start, and I always try to use new techniques and end up with accidents and mistakes that I have to fix throughout the process of painting to, to keep it fun. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, I approach painting in a similar way too. Um, well, you had said earlier that you're a graphical designer. Like how has that job influenced your work with Warhammer or has maybe design philosophy mm -hmm. from that rubbed off into, because you had said towards the beginning of this, like, you found that um, they all worked together and you could take what you liked about Warhammer and apply that. Yeah, so it's this weird thing where it's less that my design work. So I'm a, I'm a book designer, so I'm a graphic designer and I work mostly with typography um, mm -hmm. and designing like book covers and stuff. The weird thing is it's less that my design work influences my hobby and more that my hobby has influenced my design work. Um, <laughs> like when I was in high school, I said I had a web page. Um, I learned how to, I learned HTML yeah. and got um, the predecessor to Photoshop, all this photo styler so that I could make um, graphics. So I made like little animated uh, GIFs. I'm going to call them that because that's what I've always called them. Um, not GIFs, but animated Apparently, GIFs. I was told that it is in fact, GIF, which yeah. I think sounds kind of stupid to me, but apparently that's it's actually it's GIF. Yeah, we don't need to. I don't want to bring. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I made little animated GIFs of like Space Marines shooting bolters and Tyranids shooting fitters and stuff. But so I and then I made like a logo for my website and all this stuff. So I kind of learned about graphic design through that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I like about my work is that I do a lot of um, typography is very kind of influenced by history. Mm -hmm. um, and so I like the idea of how like a typeface carries the associations of its time period and thinking about kind of the 
um, way that visual forms are full of meaning and association. Um, and so the, what I think is so fun about 40K is that it's just like this crazy mix of different historical things mashed together. Um, yeah. And the other thing is I, um, my other work I did a lot in college, which I was really into, is I made um, collages. And so I actually did like collage sketchbooks. I brought one up. So like for a while, I thought this was my replacement for making models, was making like art books. Every night before going to bed, I would make these like collage art books. Um, But then once I started working as a practicing graphic designer, this didn't seem so relaxing anymore, I think, because it was like too close to what I was doing. And Mm -hmm. I would get caught up by worrying about like, what does this mean? Is this in terms of like visual aesthetics and stuff? Um, But it's the same basic thing. of just like sitting down with a pile of stuff and some paint and knives and glue and putting it together. and so it's really nice to get off the computer after working on the computer all day. Um, so it's kind of, some of it is influenced by the opposite of what I do as my job, but it's also exactly the same. It's just like mixing visual elements mm-hmm. to create a coherent expression. Yeah, no, that's neat. Yeah, it is neat. Well, I guess towards that about mixing uh, different medium, media and that sort of thing together, like you're also pretty well known for making all sorts of crazy vehicles and mechs with random plastic bits and mm-hmm. glue tubes and floss containers and such. Like how quickly did you start to incorporate things like that into your models? Pretty early on. Um, I made this robot pretty early on. Um, and a lot of it is Games Workshop parts, but I kind of quickly realized that I could use other things like this is like a pen cap or something, you know, so there's a lot of little, mm-hmm. that wasn't that junk based, but um, kind of reminds me of like, a mad cat or something from Mech mm-hmm. Warrior. Yeah, I definitely, I've heard that before. Um, it's coll- It's basically collage again and when I convert, I tend to cut pieces, models into such small pieces that they're basically just shapes. Yeah, yeah. So when you get to that point, it's like there's shapes everywhere. And it's, I've always liked to like pick up junk to, and think about how I could use it for other things. Um, and there's a long tradition in science fiction model making of using. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's even some cool websites where you can see like exactly how they built all the Star Wars models and the Blade Runner sets. And do you just have like a box of like greebling or whatever they call, or you just collect random like yep. plastic pieces and everything? Yep, I've got a bunch of like big Ziploc baggies and boxes and stuff, but it's not particularly organized. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm a messy guy, but um, yeah, so I definitely it sometimes it's like I'll get too attached to like really cool pieces and think like, well, this is gonna be something good. But I, with bits and with junk, I try to think like, no, just go ahead and use it. There's gonna be more stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, so talking a little bit about robot, like robots and stuff, like for that, where did some of your inspiration come? Was it like MechWarrior sort of stuff 
or was it Gundam or maybe Transformers or it was Transformers as a kid. Um, but I I grew up in Hawaii um, okay. and before that lived in Japan as a really little kid um, before I really remembered it. But like I grew up like I remember we had all these tapes from Japan that I would watch um, and those like it was Macross, which then became Robotech. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I was also really into Gogolo 5, which is what became Power Rangers later, but that's less of an influence. But there were giant robots in that. Um, but then as a kid, I was really then into Voltron and Transformers. And then some of the first models I put together were actually um, Japanese spaceship kits okay. um, that they would sell at like the corner store in Hawaii. So there was these like, um, I think they were like Zentradi cruisers um, and like a Star Blazers yep. um, ship, which were just like, you know, three inch long, very simple plastic kits, but um, it was so fun that, so I've always been into the, that type of scene. And, but like when I was never that much into Battletech because I remember just thinking like, they just stole all those robot designs from different, <laughs> different manga and anime. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and it's been fun that 40K has embraced giant robots because it's, they've, I mean, they were part of the universe since um, Adeptus Titanicus, but um, it's great to get an excuse to play more games with them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Eli mentioned Calamity. He's a more recent um, guy who I've, I've seen online who's really, really good. And it was actually pretty late once, it was only after I started making these that I saw um, some of these other really cool people like um, the whole Machine and Krieger. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And then there's like a Makoto Kobayashi, I think is his name, who does like the acid bufferverse models are really cool. Um, and I'm definitely super influenced by all those guys. Um, Calamity just wildly detailed um, scratch built stuff. It's really crazy. Well, I thought it was neat, like some of them like they have like lathes and other stuff, which they're yeah. using to get like precision cut out all the stuff and get them all part. It's just like, wow, that's cool. Like I feel like I wish I had more of a background in some of that stuff, but then like I would need place to have all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'd be hard. Yeah. yeah um, definitely more of a less of like the actual industrial design approach yeah, of like yeah. work and more like kind of an old fashioned movie set idea where like, as long as it looks good from a distance in that one angle, um, <laughs> like don't think too hard about where that piston goes and how that uh-huh. like, <laughs> joint attaches. But one thing that this is kind of going back to your conversions and such. And like, I feel the three of us are all into like, making sure like the anatomy of things mm-hmm. is is reasonable and like the guns aren't too large and all that sort of stuff which often isn't a huge proponent of gw models due to their heroic scaling and such partially initially when they were made like they didn't have the technology to do it but i find it's interesting how i i feel the way you convert stuff and such sort of like um, surmounts those issues just because like you convert them and like make them larger such that the models kind of 
grow into the size mm-hmm. of their weapons and like mm-hmm. you add in like torsos and things and like I, I think it's interesting that like your models look so good and I, to me part of it is because of how you how you go about the conversions it like makes them not seem as heroic scale anymore just because like you add in those elements thank yeah thank you i definitely try to think about that um i'm not as much of a realism purist as you guys are um but i think like i get the idea of the heroic scale exaggeration because these are models meant to be viewed at arm's length yeah and things don't really read it the way you want them to with that um but i think i find the anatomy distracting in a lot of games workshop models off the shelf um less more and more but yeah but, um <laughs> yeah i take the opposite approach from you guys which you end up with very tiny delicate models and i tend to end up with models that are technically way too tall um but as long as they're all together with only my models they look great together um, well, but, so- um just because yeah. if you have if you start with a head and a hand and feet, it's much easier to add space in the waist and add space. Oh, I mean that's very true. Well, so uh, our, when we first <laughs> when we first met you, it was at the Curse of the Alabaster yeah. event, and like it was just so great. To, so I had converted all the like Arbite Judge models of mine from like the Forge World, like. Death Core Grenadiers, largely because they have like some of the best anatomy of the GW like humans. And then if you compare them to like your little like Navigator Warband, like they're just so tiny. Yeah. Like they definitely looked like they were made in different scales, which were. And to some extent, since you're doing Navigator stuff, which isn't too explored by GW stuff, like it doesn't even seem like it doesn't seem like it's a problem at all. It, it gets a little bit iffy with like regular like I have in my idea a lot of these aren't actually navigators but just like household troops. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're all, you know, void born and altered. But um yeah. I was I must admit there's some of my models where I th- made them and I thought I was done with them and my wife saw them and she's a illustrator Okay. really good at um, drawing human figures is kind of one of her stuff. Yeah. And she would just be like, nope, that's terrible. <laughs> that's great. Why is the knee there? That's yeah. all wrong. So and that's like, great. Like, like, I already glued pouches all on the thigh. It it's would like, get rid of them. No, nope. and so actually, like, with that tech gang you were showing, yeah. um, I was, like, really upset that I had to change them. But then I, like, cut them all apart and tweaked the proportions, and they looked so much better. Um, well, so I love that tech gang models are some of my favorite models we've made. Yeah. Like I have one up here, the one uh, female model. She's kind of like holding like yeah, I think that's my favorite one too. I think like, that's like one of my favorite it. models it's you've ever made. Like so good, so great. Like everything about it just works so well together. Like the proportions are good. Like it's really great. And I I really like the bolt pistol thing. Like it actually looks like kind of like a machine pistol or something mm-hmm. like uh, it's just really cool like and i feel it's neat to see like basically all gw parts and things but like fused together in a way that like works and doesn't seem like super caricatured and 
awkward. <laughs> I'm definitely not a uh, a gun guy or a gun expert, so that's nice to hear that. Uh, I just try to make things look vaguely believable so that the yeah, yeah. more crazy parts of the world kind of make more sense or or hit home more. Um, mm -hmm. I think I sent a picture that has like a comparison between some of your models, Adam and <laughs> Isaac. Oh, wait, I, I'm trying to shared it that you might be able to bring up. I think it's only one of the models, but it's it's still pretty funny. Oh wait, that that wasn't the one. Let me see if I can find find another one here. Uh, oh, this is the one. Um, well, I mean, it's, so the Death Core models, like they're all scaled in a way that they almost work with the normal plastic space Marines. So like you really know like they're tall, they're small as hell because like those, like the normal space Marines are like, oh, okay. So here, yeah, this is one of the, <laughs> one of my like models from like the Pilgrim game, the little dog oh, yeah. around the neck and everything. Um, yeah, it's yeah, pretty, pretty tiny. <laughs> yeah, well, your model is much closer to the standard Games Workshop scale, I feel like. Um, yeah, so like... You shrink down some of the things. Well, yeah, so my three. approach was always be, was always to like take like a lot of the GW models. It's like, God, their feet are so big. Like they look so bad. It's like, well, what is the, what are the smallest feet that GW <laughs> has? Let's give them those feet. And like I've now started to... I've actually started to sculpt some of like the boots and stuff where it's just like, well, here's the foot. Let's start shaving down the foot, and make <laughs> it really small, and then I'll sculpt like some of the detailing and stuff over it to make it look okay. And like, <laughs> I even though I often, you know, as you can see, lengthen my models, I often shave the feet down too. I mean, um, you almost you like have to. Like, I think it's so interesting, like. GW, like, the, the heroic proportions, like, they've lessened more and yeah. more over the years. And, like, for instance, like, the heads have gotten a lot smaller. The hands have gotten a lot smaller. But the one thing that really hasn't gotten a lot smaller in most instances are the feet. <laughs> They're yeah. so big. And I will say, like, in some of the more recent Games Workshop releases, like, they've now started to make, like, what are most likely supposed to be like male and female versions of like different guard and stuff. And it's like, I just love the female guard because yeah. like their feet are smaller and it's just like, that is so much closer to what yeah. like they should look like. <laughs> I will, I will just push back a little bit um, yeah. and say that like that kind of the idea of the heroic scale, I think when well executed, actually can work really well because it's this it's not realism it's this it's a tight it's a it's a visual style that is meant to like make things very have memorable strong silhouettes and be yeah. legible at a distance um so like one thing that comes to mind is like i think the space marine silhouette and design language is very similar to mega man oh yeah his like visual forms um, and Jeff Goodwin really likes that language of like a foot, like a really wide, like almost mm -hmm. hook, 
like a bell bottom or hoof. And if yeah, you look, yeah, yeah. Tyranids have it, Eldar have it, Space Marines have it. It's like one of his kind of mm-hmm. signature silhouettes of like a small waist, wide shoulder, low head, and flared hoof feet, um, which is kind of Mega Man. Is an interesting. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good. That's a good visual. I can't. But it's like I find it like it works better on a Space Marine or a Tyranid than it does on a Imperial Guard model. Yes, I think that's certainly true. Where you see the kind of abstraction. Yeah, it's, it's good for Space Marines. Or have his armor on and it's fine. There's a um, type designer, uh, William Addison Dwiggins, um, from the 20s. Um, who was a puppet puppet maker and as his hobby, and so he would carve wooden puppets. And he used a he had a term he called the M effect, the marionette effect, mm-hmm. used to talk about how you have to design a typeface that's read at small sizes. Okay. If you he said if you're sculpting a face to be seen up close, it should be subtle and beautiful. But if you're sculpting a marionette that's going to be yeah. seen 30 feet away. You have to have it be exaggerated and kind of chunky and simplified. Yeah. So shadows play on it in a way that's legible, and that he was talking about when you design a typeface, mm-hmm. it has to be kind of ugly, so that if it's going to be you know eight point tall, um, so it's legible. And I think that's a lot of the kind of the same ideas behind the heroic scale, but I would agree that it's often implemented in some ways are more successful um, than others. Yeah, I think Games Workshop has gotten a lot better realizing they can still have elements of that, but there's the technology there that they can incorporate it and like kind of get the best of both worlds. I guess one thing, like you've now been a part of quite a few like Inc. 28 events, like some uh, fairly notable ones like uh, the Thorn Moons, Lefsotho, I don't know if that's how you say that, Two one two, recently Jalita. Like, would you talk a little bit, like, kind of how you got involved in some of those things? Um, yeah. yeah. So that um, kind of came from posting on forums and social media and just talking to people, um, typing to people, you know, on <laughs> on forums and kind of getting to know a couple of people. But I don't think I would have initiated going to one of those events directly on my own because I was kind of nervous and shy, but um, Shibboleth, um, Jonathan reached reached out to me for the Alabaster game and invited me to come out. Um, and we had been talking while he's like a really outgoing social guy who's one of these kind of um, people who connect likes to connect people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'd seen, like when you guys went to England for the Pilgrim game, I was just like, man, that looks so amazing so jealous um and so then when i was given this opportunity to go i figured well this is just just to going to california that's a lot less of a commitment yeah Um, yeah and i'm so glad i went because it was so fun to meet um all the people there and see all the cool models and hang out and play the game too which was also really fun. the first time we actually met you yep too so that was was cool but yeah, well, I mean, no, that I... game that year was incredible. We went, we went and played in two things. <laughs> yeah, two. We played two games that year. Crazy. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, but that that that's cool. And I think just the that was sort of the thing that we found that just interacting with typing with people and interacting with them through like blogs or social media like was kind of instrumental in kind of starting to get involved in that stuff. Yeah. And what I think like a lot of people from the outside, like when I was first like reading about some of this stuff on um like uh Tears of Envy's old blog, um, Tim Tim's blog, seeing some of the games they were playing, I was just like, this is, I would love to do that so much. How do I, how do I get invited? How do I get so lucky? And then kind of now that I know a lot of these people, a lot of that was just like a group of actual real life friends who posted pictures of things. Um, mm-hmm. And like all the Iron Fleet guys who I'm lucky enough to get to know are actually were just kind of started off as like mostly internet friends um, who decided to play together. And so it's kind of realizing that basically anybody can do this. And it's been really fun seeing all these other people being inspired and doing their own projects. And it's been fun being involved in some of those. And I'm really lucky that um, I discovered after some of this online stuff, I discovered that there's a great guy in Chicago, um, Dark Tech, mm-hmm. also known as Vince, who um, I looked on, I searched, I was searching for a Necromunda group because I wanted to try playing Necromunda. And I saw there was a Necromunda league. This was old Necromunda before they came out with Necromunda mm-hmm. at a shop way on the other side of the city. So I went to like the first night meetup and there was just like four guys and Vince was one of them and his models were really cool. And he liked my models. And we we did the Necromunda game maybe like three times, but it kind mm-hmm. of fizzled out because everybody was really far away from each other and hard to orchestrate. But we stayed in touch and have actually become good friends and done a lot of games together. But also he's very good at organizing the big things. So he was instrumental in putting together some of the other stuff we've done. Yeah, no, nah, he's, he's great makes all sorts of cool stuff and yeah like the fact that yeah he has organized some stuff and that that certainly helps if there's someone who's willing to to start to do that like cause it can be it's a big sort of step to do um but yeah it's it, it's great i mean it's cool that you're um both live relatively close to one another that yeah you, um, you'd think we'd play more often and we probably should but it's one of those things that's with busy lives, it's always really hard oh, yeah. organizing. And it's much easier to find like a couple hours here and there during the week to work on models. Like I can be like, well, I'm going to stay up a little too late tonight <laughs> yeah. and make the models. But it's much harder to be like call Vince and be like, hey, do you want to play Necromunda from 1130 to one tonight? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is certainly, certainly yeah, harder. It's very lucky. And uh I think we're going to, we're definitely need to meet up soon. Yeah, that's good. Well, I guess, are, do you plan to like go to Adepticon and such this yep. year? I'm going to Adepticon. Um, I forgot to sign up for any events. Um, in the past, I've done some of the 40K stuff, but I'm actually not signed up for anything. But there's going to be a lot of Inc. 28 gaming going on this year. Dave Taylor is running two days of Inc. Mm-hmm. Games. Yeah, he is. He is. Um, which are pretty small games. But then also a bunch of us who've met at Adapticon before are going to be 
doing kind of informal games, not on the official schedule, mm-hmm. I think on Saturday and Sunday. Um, and so that's just like being organized, like on Facebook and online and stuff. But so if anybody's interested going to Adapticon and interested in this stuff, um, you know, reach out, I can put you in touch with people or um, search. There's like the, now I forget the name of the group on Facebook, the Inquisition, Inquisimunda group or whatever. Um, Inquisitorium. Inquisitorium. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been using Facebook a little bit less lately. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a real time sink. Yeah. um, Maybe it's ruining the world, but (laughs) we don't need to get into that right now. But um, so, yeah, if, I think Adepticon is going to be huge this year. Um, it sounds like in addition to all the people who did um, some of the games the past couple of years, like the Palatine Spires and the mm-hmm. Carrying Path, um, I believe Shibboleth um, will be there. Oh, um, cool. And it looks like Mixel is also going to come. Yeah, and wow. Yeah, we're, we should be there too. This should be their first time. It's, so. it's really fun. It's, you know, it's, it's a huge convention. Um, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Eli's asking, like, for, like, if you go, go to Adepticon and, like, if you just want to take part in, like, the open gaming and stuff like that, do you need to get a badge? Uh, I don't think so. I think maybe technically to use one of the open gaming tables, you need, like, somebody with a badge. Okay. But yeah. you can just attend... Adepticon without signing up for any events. Um, I'm normally, this is my, my first year going without getting a badge for any event. Mm-hmm. So I will probably just need to buy some type of badge. But I think, you know, I don't want to get in trouble with official Adepticon <laughs> <laughs> people. But um, I know for this, so the, I don't know how many people will be able to accommodate in the end, but I think the plan is to make it pretty open. The Saturday and Sunday games are, I think, called Relicta Stellas. Okay. Yeah, that's my understanding. Is, instead of trying to put everybody on one big game, which just turns into, like, Apocalypse, which is kind of the opposite of the whole <laughs> yeah. point, um, we're going to try to do a bunch of mini-games. So the idea is each person will bring, I think, like a two-by-two-foot board and do like a almost like a tournament setup where there's a bunch of little interconnected games but so like everybody gets to a whole bunch of people get to play with other people in like very small scale fast Mm -hmm. linked narrative games so uh rob um who's another guy early on who whose work on daka daka i loved and is part of expofundus too he's a mead online Uh, he is um been building a lot of terrain already and I think it's kind of organizing some stuff. So um, there's like a Facebook group for that as well. Yeah, no, that, that, that sounds, that sounds great. So yeah, Adepticon should be pretty cool this year. Um, I guess maybe here's just some last sort of simple questions. Do you have like a favorite hobby tool that mm. you use? that's like really, that is like the most important for you. I guess it's kind of, it's two things. It's just like a, a really sharp exacto blade mm-hmm. um, and plastic glue, I will just say, because I, I don't mean to single Vince out here, but I was shocked to discover that he had been building a lot of his big robots just with super glue. 
Yeah, well, the last time I was in Chicago for like a work-related thing, I met up with you. Yeah. And like I too was like amazed that like he used like strictly uses super glue and like I feel the like I don't know six or seven years ago when I found that like Tamiya thin cement and some yeah. of the thin cements like oh my god this is like the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I I will I use super glue for any a lot of my junk builds where I'm like gluing putty to stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're just working with plastic, it's like the plastic glue is amazing. One of my favorite things about like using actual plastic glue is it's positionable that you oh, have like, that little so nice. Line. It's so nice. It sets. But um, yeah, using, I don't use saws very often. I don't use vices very often. I don't use like a miter table. Um, I do almost everything just with an X-Acto knife, um, but just with a really sharp blade. If you're doing, mm-hmm. I don't change my blade enough, but if you're doing any type of like careful cuts, it mm-hmm. makes such a difference um, swapping your blades out. Difference. Yeah. No, I mean, and, if uh, I had... I've been using a lot of epoxy sculpts lately. Um, oh, I I'll just say this because I get that. almost every comment I get whenever I post something made out of putty is, what's what? that putty? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I use a bunch of different putties, but epoxy sculpt is pretty cheap, um, and it dries really hard, so you can sand it, and it responds well to water while you're working it. So, like, you don't need to use oil or Vaseline or something. Um, It's pretty easy to smooth with water, which I I like. Yeah, it's great. Do you pin things? Uh, Not really. I do occasionally when – normally when they break – (laughs) <laughs> like I'll find out what joints need to be pinned when I'm painting them often. But like the thing is, if you're using plastic glue and gluing plastic to plastic, the joint is often stronger than the piece. Yeah. That, that so sometimes true. it's the a thin little piece that breaks. But like actually, I had this model in front of me. I don't know if you can see that, but this one I ended up having to pin the legs a lot because look how skinny they are. But I first just I should have pinned them to begin with, but I glued everything with plastic mm-hmm. glue. And then it was actually, I think when I was like dry brushing it, like some of the little ankles snapped. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, pinning is a, is a great technique. My problem with it is the positioning often that like you have to kind of commit. Oh my God, it's horrible. Commit to the angle just right. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And I kind of hate anything that takes like planning or forethought. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I take a very loose approach to all of these. To, to building things. yeah yeah well i guess kind of building on that like is there any method or technique or something that you do that maybe like sort of sounds like an odd thing or a strange thing but like is like really helpful or something that you've discovered is really helpful for like building or converting anything like that that's a good question i guess it's kind of two sides of the same thing is more of like an, an approach is to not be too precious with conversions is something I have to tell myself sometimes. It's like, sometimes like I'll, I'll like something a lot and think it's maybe not quite working, but it's pretty good. But maybe if I cut it in half and shifted it a little bit, it would look better. But it's like, that's a scary thing to do. But mm-hmm. so my attitude is you can always glue it back together. And if you mess up a piece when you cut it, you can just cover it up with a different piece, you know? And <laughs> it's like taking that leap to like not worry about ruining something um, yeah, uh, I yeah. Feel, for me, it's now to the point where I feel like 
you start cutting at it, and it's like, if I screw it up too badly, like, I can just re-sculpt it. Exactly, yeah. Or, like, cover it or whatever. It's like... Um, and, the, yeah, I feel also, like, if it's something that sort of bothers you or doesn't sit right, like, you're going to be happier if you try to fix it or if you change it. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, this is this type of modeling where we're not trying to make whole armies, but it's like, so, yeah, mm-hmm. might as well make it. My goal is always to, like, make each model as absolutely great as it can be. And so, mm-hmm. like, yeah, if there's that little thing that you're not sure about, it's worth dealing with it. And the other thing is that I used to try to, like, in my mind, I'd think, like, this head's so cool. This chest piece is so cool. I can't, if I use them, I, I've got to save that for a special model. But early on, I was like, no, every model you're working on, don't worry. Yeah. Put the coolest things you can all in that one model because there's going to be more cool things. That is certainly other things to do after that. So, like, yeah. not being precious, I guess. Well, this is only somewhat related, but one thing that I found, particular stuff that Adam is doing, like him showing models to Eric and I and other people, I think has helped where other people see things that look quite wrong, look wrong. And like you were saying about how your wife looked at some of the models because she's good at with like kind of anatomy and stuff and said like, oh, no, no, that's not not good. And I think that helps by having other people look at stuff. Definitely. It can be hard to take critique sometime, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it all comes down to like what you're trying to get out of. Like ultimately for me, this is, it is a hobby. Like I do this because it's fun and relaxing, but part of what makes it fun for me is like trying really hard to get better and make better stuff. But for mm-hmm. some people, that's totally fine if that's not mm-hmm. what they're goal is so like when you show people work like you know different different people come to it with different expectations you know certainly yeah i think like that's a good thing to consider like why you're in the hobby some people it is like they want to they want to play the game they want to play it at a high level competitively or some like it's more around like just the lore or building Mm -hmm. or painting um and i think yeah, it's it's good to be a little bit introspective and like kind of consider that. And I think it maybe it can help you enjoy the hobby more. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. So I th- I think that's 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 good. Um, I guess maybe a sort of a, a final uh, question for this: Is there any like major project you're working on now? or like something that you've been thinking about and would like to work on at some point, but haven't quite gotten around to it. Yeah. There's, I have so many, so many projects that I pick up and abandon or ideas (laughs) in the back of my head. So what I've been working on the past week is um, I think you posted some of them on the stream before some pictures I sent you of uh, making little sculptures um, to represent. So it's confusing because obviously all miniatures are sculptures, but these are representing statues in in universe so that there'll be terrain um so the idea is that it's like a inside of a navigator palace where you'll have like a sculpture garden and because i think it would be really fun to play a game where models are like taking cover behind giant stone heads since that was like one of my first inspirations for the navigators yeah monolithic heads um and it's also just fun to sculpt it at 
random scales and try thinking like they don't need to be realistic necessarily, mm-hmm. like less detailed. You know, the, eventually I want to have enough statues that they kind of look like they're from different periods, that there's like maybe different, this is where kind of my interest in art history comes in, but like, you know, different styles came into vogue and different yeah, generations really in the cool. household. That one looks like there's a Lego piece in there. Yes. <laughs> I bought, I was never a Lego kid, but I bought a thing of Legos to use for making molds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then no, it turns out well that, that there's some cool little shapes in there. Yeah, no, there are. There are a lot of good shapes if you're... I should actually do that. Everything's a shape. Everything's a shape. Yeah. So yeah, here's like an idea I had way back when when I was first sketching Navigators was thinking about different types of mutation. And I thought like you guys are into biology and genetics, like an atavistic mutation Mm -hmm. where you have like a earlier, um, like a fallback to an earlier generation in evolution. So maybe some Navigators could look like apes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know, there's a ton of stuff that you could explore with all of that. And like, yeah. the whole notion of, in this case, it was like the statues and stuff, sort of exploring the notion that, like, yeah, they would be, they would look different from different time periods. And, like, that kind of leaves you free to kind of just do whatever you want with it. Even exactly. if you're not necessarily like think like oh this is exactly what it should look like, I that I think works fine with just the whole idea and the theory behind it. So yeah, here's a just a little quick lineup of here. Some you know you could imagine like started a rough full figure, which I think I'll probably leave really kind of abstract and rough, but then you know. It gets confusing because that's a big model, but um, here's a human scale model. So you can. So my plan is to do this for the Adepticon event, the Relicta Stella, that I'm going to make a table that people can play on. Where okay. Yeah, yeah. Behind statues and stuff. It's a good idea. And I well, see the whole notion of just getting out there and starting to sculpt and try and maybe even do more than you feel you're comfortable with. In general, I feel it's a good thing because... Yeah, I mean, I think you... Yeah, it's like at a certain point, like you guys are definitely, you're seeing this when you're converting things so much, like maybe you should just sculpt your own model because you're sculpting so much on it. No, that's what I should just do because at this point, like I guess particularly with like some of the more time models and stuff I made, it's like... And I guess the one true scale space brand I made, like there was some framework and then I just kind of sculpted over top of everything. So it's like... Yeah. It was more just an armature than... <laughs> you know, and quite wide. I mean, who knows? It but, is tough to start with a blank slate. Like, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that's fun about converting, of course, is working with... Like, I'm not saying sculpting is better than converting. I actually think in some ways converting is kind of more challenging. Like, it's easier technically maybe, but like there's a visual challenge of making existing things work in different ways. Yeah, certainly true. Yeah. But it can also lead to, what I like about converting is it can lead to like unexpected juxtapositions. And mm-hmm. so I find when I'm just straight up sculpting, it's harder to come up with those mm-hmm. ideas. Um, so I've started to try to like convert my own sculpture, my own sculpts of like cutting like this one, 
was an experiment where I like sculpted two heads, um, but then you can see like the mouth is white. That's because that was from a different head. So like I cut them in half and recombined them. Uh, so that's a good idea. And like I feel, I think it could also be a good exercise. Like I feel just also like we on the blog sort of started a conversion corner thing. Oh yeah. Segment when, and I, I feel I haven't done enough of it, but it was hope. <laughs> The notion of it was to try and like force myself to do quicker conversions yeah. and like, and so I feel the more of that, any of that, trying to push yourself out of your comfort zone is, is good for your like growth and just experimentation because. Totally. Um, yeah. And like, maybe you'll do some and decide that actually you look, you really prefer doing the super elaborate conversion yeah. but also it, you could learn things from doing simple work like i think yeah. some of the some of the i'm often inspired by really really simple conversions where it's just like that one genius combination of like a head on a different mm -hmm. body like that's a real art um yeah the main reason my conversions have gotten more elaborate is i got kind of tired of seeing people doing the same exact conversions mm -hmm. and like, that's totally fine because, again, like I was saying, people approach the hobby for different ways. But for me, what makes it fun is to do new things. So if I see people doing the same head swaps and I'm like, well, how how can I make something that's harder to copy? And it's like, well, if I cut that head into 10 pieces, then yes, yeah. <laughs> only the really crazy some, idiots are going to do that. But Yeah, you can do some pretty elaborate head slices. <laughs> well, so that's, it's like you're channeling your inner Malifaux. Like most Malifaux models, like each each head is sliced up into like five or six pieces with a little bit of hair here, Crazy. part of a chin there. I've never actually, I've never worked with them. Some of them are pretty terrible. Like the, and they're more of a true scale. And then like, but despite that, <laughs> a lot of the other heads will be like, three pieces for the hair, but like the head is smaller than like a GW one. So it's pretty funny, but yeah, that, <laughs> uh, well, um, well, so, I mean, maybe at this point we can, uh, wrap up the pod, the uh, podcast here. Like, is there any like last things you'd like to say? Um, any, yeah. Any last words or anything you'd like to plug or anything of that nature? Um, that's a good that's a good question. I think I'd just say like um I really appreciate all the work you guys are doing with the blog and the podcast. Like I know it's really it takes a lot of work to do anything like this. Even just to write a post on a forum takes a lot of work, but like editing pictures, posting things, and then what you do takes it to another level and you know, different people, I don't know, like for me, my time is pretty limited. And so I'm often kind of selfish with it and put most of my time, my free time into actually making things. But like the hobby needs people to do all the other stuff too, and to plan events, but also be kind of like the online focus, folky and lubricants and connection points and, you know, um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways to contribute, and I, yeah, I appreciate well, what you guys are doing. It helps yeah, thank you. of us to work together to do things. <laughs> it does help, like that. Like we can all work at different aspects of writing, and someone can read through it and edit it. And so I feel powers like activate. Yeah, <laughs> and our yeah. powers combine. <laughs> yeah, but no, nah, it's it's 
it's but it as you said like all those things like it certainly is a fair amount of work that like that could have been going into painting or hobbying or something so like it is one of those things you just kind of have to figure out like what you want to focus on mm-hmm. and like what you're gaining out of that and personally I do I like interacting with like other people and like sharing this sort of thing and trying to you know help more people get involved in it and like I think that's really fun well you, so. you are a social media influencer oh god uh-oh but yeah one of my favorite things about the hobby now is interacting with people and oh yeah that's just been really fun like befriending people all around and talking about ideas and and yeah like uh, all these sort of events and probably things like adepticon a lot the the greatest thing about most of the ink 28 events we've been is just you know seeing old friends meeting new ones totally and like i'm I'm, I can be a pretty shy guy and get really nervous about social stuff. And so I was really worried meeting these people in the first, in person for the first time. And like, what are we, what are we going to talk about? But like, oh no, it turns out we have so much in common. Like if you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if we're yeah, doing this type yeah. of stuff, it's like, it's very fun to like, you know, we all, most of this is a very internal hobby where we spend all this, these many hours thinking about this stuff. And so like getting we to share that with other people is really fun. We could have mm-hmm. talked for a while more about Alien, but we stopped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true. Spin-off podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Well, I guess well, thanks uh, for agreeing to come on here. It's like been really great talking with you and kind of hearing some of your insights and how you kind of got to this point. Like, yeah, it's been really nice. No, no problem. It was my pleasure. I hope I uh, didn't didn't go on too long. No, no, it was it, it was great. Um, and yeah, maybe we can have you on again sometime. Sure, that'd be fun. And hopefully, we'll see you at Adepticon too. Yeah, <laughs> you guys should come for sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Like, uh, it was fun, and we'll talk to you again soon. Good night.